Some of you are too young to remember Cliff Wilson back in the day. Maybe if you've seen it on MeTV or whatever, some of these channels that show old shows, but most of us in here can remember Flip Wilson. And the one thing he always would say is, the devil made me do it. Well, that is partly true, but then also James is going to help us to understand how we handle trials and temptations. All of that is part of life. There are trials, and there's also what? Temptations. Anybody that's here today and anybody that's outside of here and just lives in this world that we live in, to say that they have never been, have any trials, I would say you're really not living. Because if you live long, and if you haven't had any trials, thanks be to God, but just keep on living a little bit longer. And it's not if, but when trials come knocking on your door. And the other part of that is, it's also temptation. Temptation is always, always lurking around seeking whom he may devour. And we know the great tempter is Satan. But James is a great book. The more I, I look at this, the more I see that James is a practical, is giving us practical advice on how to handle our life on an everyday basis. I don't know about you, but each day I wake up, I don't know what's going to happen in life. I don't want things I may be faced. And, and contrary to popular opinion and contrary to what you might think, Regardless if you are a pastor or a preacher or a garbage man or work in an office or a woman that works here, or wherever you are, temptation is always around. But how do we handle those temptations? It's all in what James is going to tell us as we go through this book. Last week we talked about being rich and being poor. The ultimate summation of all that was this. If you have it, God can take it away from it. If you don't have it, God will give it to you. But through it all, you've got to remember whether you have it or you don't have it, it all comes from God. Amen? Amen. I know many of us, we talked about that last week, think that if we had more money, we'd be happier. That may not always be the case. You might be able to buy better things. You might be able to pay your bills. You might, but money does not bring happiness. Ask some of our people who have had, some of our professional athletes who have signed multi-million dollar contracts, and it's amazing that for many of them, if they don't put it in the right places and, and give it to people who they sh should not have trusted, they lose it all. And they end up being poor in the last part of their lives. But they have a lot and not know God. The ultimate slap in the face is you will face an eternity separated from God. To not have much, but you trust in God means that you will receive way more than you could ever receive on this side of, the, of uh, the world, on this side of eternity. But James today is going to tell us some things and uh, help us to understand how we can handle trials and temptations. Verse 12 says, Blessed is the one who endures trials because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. James tells us that we will be blessed. Now notice what he says here. For any one of us who endures, who's able to push through, who's able to make it through the trials that will come. Why? Because we have stood the test. Now, here's something we need to understand. God does not, God will test us, but he will never tempt us. The reason why God cannot tempt us is because he is without sin. Amen? 
But he tells us in this verse, the one who runs the entire race of life, not just how we begin it, but also reveals to us whether one will inherit eternal life. Here's what he says. If we understand we are blessed because we endure, we push through, we hang on in there. It's not the, how we start the race, but how we end the race. Anybody ever run marathons? Any marathon runners? Nobody? You run a, you run a marathon? Oh, okay. Forgive him, Jesus. <laughs> Life is a marathon. I got it. Uh, my, our good buddy, uh, Herd Scott, who was here the other week, he's running some marathons and stuff. And, but to run the marathon, you have to build up your endurance. For some of us, walking around this church might be a challenge. For others of us, walking around the block might be a challenge. Let alone talk about putting in 22-some miles running at a nice distance. If I ever run a marathon, I'm not running it to win the race. I would run it just to see if I could finish it, knowing that if I had not built up my endurance, probably within the first mile, I'd probably be like, oh, this is not a good idea. I can remember when the track over at the junior high, they would make us run a mile at that time was four times around the track. You run four times around that track over at the junior high, uh, high school building there. It would be a one mile. Now, if you're not used to running a mile, you're going to feel like after the first lap, you might be, <gasps> let alone second, third, by the fourth one, you'd be just like, you know what? I can't make it. That sometimes is how life is. And what James is saying that the endurance that we have, it comes through the trials that come our way. Those trials produce in us the ability to keep on keeping on. Trials is not defined by how big or by how small. Trials are things that come into our life to test us to see whether we have the willingness to push through it and also to trust in God. And he says, now listen, he says, blessed is the one who endures trials because when he has stood, you got to be able to stand, be able to stay in there, stood, he says, the test, he will receive a crown of life that God has promised to those, and here's the condition, to those who love him. To those of us who truly, who love him, to love God is to obey. By this, all men will know that you obey my commandments if you have love for me. Amen? Amen. Love for God enables us as believers to undergo trials, to rest confidently in him. When we have trials, because I, you know, it's easy to say in a church context, I love God. Many of us have said that until sometimes some things come into our life and our love for God may be tested. Love for God means you ultimately fully trust and rest confidently in him. So when that trial comes, whatever, however we learned that trials come in multifaceted colors. James told us that earlier, that when trials come, they come in a variety of different ways. But when it comes, he says, if you're able to continue to go through all those, the, that trial that you're in, 
it will reveal to you and to the rest of the world whether you really have confidence in what God is doing through you and to you and for you while you are in that trial. Amen? You got to be able to say, okay, Lord. I, and here's the thing. I go all the way back to when he says, count it all joy when you enter. There is nobody, and we're going to learn about this in a few moments, nobody enters into a trial going, you know what, this is wonderful. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. I really want to go through this. That's why that statement that James makes helps us to understand that this is not an easy thing. It's all part of life. He says, count it all joy. Well, maybe you're there, but there are times trials have come, and I'm not counting it all joy. But here James says, number one, blessed is the one who endures these trials because he has stood the test he will receive, and you will receive the crown of life. The crown of life consists life that is complete, both here and now. Right at this present moment, you will receive the completeness, the fullness of life because you're able to endure the trials that you're entering into. And then he also says, receive the crown of life that God has promised. You've got a promise from God that you will receive this crown of life as you and I endure those trials. You'll receive the fullness of life. You'll receive the blessing. You'll receive all that God has to give excuse me, give to you because you've been able to stand the test. And you got a promise from God that he's going to give that to you if you love him. Amen? The promise is on the condition that you love God. How many here would say we love God? Most all of us would. But when that trial comes, that's going to test whether you really love him and have confidence in him to be able to help you through that situation. Now, here's what he says in verse 13. No one, no one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God. When you're going through it, it's not something, it's easy to sometimes to blame God, but that's not the truth. Since God is not tempted by evil, he doesn't tempt anyone, but each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. God doesn't tempt us. God doesn't cause us to sin. Amen? God's not the one that says, okay, I'm going to put this temptation. What James does tell us is, here's how this works. Temptation, trials, come because... We are enticed to do the sin. This whole analogy within the word context in the Greek talks about the idea of, guess what he says here? No one undergoing a trial. We should not say, I am being tempted by God. Why? Because God is not tempted by evil. God is perfect. God is sinless. There is no sin in God. Hence, that's why God hates sin. What cuts us off from God is sin. God is incapable of that. It says, since God is not tempted by evil, and he does not tempt anyone, the, tri the temptations that come is not sent to us by God. 
But what happens, Pastor? How do they, why am I tempted? Well, here it is. Each person, that's each one of us, is tempted when we are drawn away and enticed by our own evil desire. Remember what I said a couple weeks ago? To think something, to have a desire for something that may be wrong is not the sin. The sin is when you and I do it. That's where sin comes in. To think a certain way, I might have a bad thought, but I just say, Lord, forgive me. But the sin comes in when I act upon and actually do whatever that, is, that temptation is. That causes us to be sin, to have sin. And he says we're drawn away and enticed by our own what? Evil desires. There are evil desires in all of us. I tell you what, people, I, I get amazed. People, I would never do. Well, you know what? You should not say what you would never do. Because in the right context, in the right situ wrong situation, you might do the very thing that you thought you would never do. Oh, I would never steal. Well, okay, we understand that. But me, right or wrong, if you're in a situation where you have survival, I remember back a few years ago when all the looting and, and stuff was going on because of a natural disaster, People are stealing water, taking water out of stores and all that. People say, that's terrible. I don't know why people would do that. Well, if you're thirsty and you're trying to get food and you're trying to help your family survive, you don't know what you do, what you would do. I can remember years ago uh, sitting in the office with Pastor Harris, and he would say, you know what? I, I'm going to tell you, there was three of us, Curtis, myself, and Scott. He said, the things that I do well, that's what I want you guys to do. The things that I don't do well, please don't follow me in that path. He said, don't, don't do the things that, that, that aren't well. I told you a story a few weeks ago about the lady that tried to get on me because I looked at this young woman that was walking down the street. I'm making a delivery, and I, she says, there goes a beautiful girl down the street. And I went like this, and she said, aha, gotcha. And I told her, I said, no, wait a minute. What's that mean? You got me. You said a beautiful girl was going down the street. Why would I not look? The looking wasn't the sin. Now, if I, in my mind, went to other places, now that's sin. But let me tell you, if you see a beautiful flower, you have to admire it. I mean, things, you see something, you go, no, that's really, he's a handsome guy. He's a good, she's a good looking woman. There's nothing wrong with that. That's it, in a discussion. He says, but when you're drawn away by your own, here it is, evil desire. I can admire and have a desire to get a new car. The sin would be if I steal the car to have it for myself. I mean, I see the car, I mean, that's a nice car. I really would like to have that. Well, one of these days, I hope I can get it. But if I find the key stuck in the car, and just decide to drive away with the car, that's a whole nother story. We are enticed by our own evil desire. The idea is, and he uses sports, and he uses fishing. How many here like to fish? Well, a couple of us. I like seafood, I love most fish and stuff, but I'm not a fisherman. I have no patience to stand on the bank 
in hot, muggy weather on the side of a river, lake, or whatever, just waiting. And you got people, well, worms are the best thing, or the bait, the, the, the fake worms. And, oh, no, we use wheat dough, we, whatever, all that. I, no, no. Just catch it, bring it to my house. My wife will clean it, and then I will eat it. Amen? I enjoy it, but I have no excitement to be in the process. James uses that analogy, that when sin and temptation comes, the idea is there's a bait that's dangled in front of the little fish. He's minding his own business. He's swimming along, not really thinking about, hey, that there's somebody on the shore that threw a line out that has something that is either shiny or reflects in the water or that looks good. And what that fish does not realize is that, hey, this is enticing. This looks good. I think I will take a bite. Not realizing the moment he bites into whatever he sees, that hook catches him, and there you go, reeling it in. And every now and then, the fish breaks away and lives to see another day. That's what the devil enticement is all about. The lure of the bait tells us it's attractive. But what we don't realize is that in life, there are two paths that we can follow. We can follow the easy way, which leads to eternal death, or we can follow the hard way, which leads to eternal life. In other words, the easy way seems to be the most attractive to a lot of us because it's what? Easy. We, cut, we make shortcuts. We do things. We cut around corners. We go over the river and through the woods. We get what we want because it's easy to get. The fish thought that he didn't have to do any work that day to get any food. It was right there in front of him. But what he did not realize is that the moment he bites on that bait, then that's when things change. And too many of us live our life like that. We bite the bait, but we don't realize that the ultimate end of that is destruction. How many young lives have been wrecked? How many of our own lives have been wrecked? Because we took the easy, immediate satisfaction of life, not realizing that although it was attractive at that moment, the consequences were life-changing and would last with us forever. Some of us are a little bit older. If we had it to do all over again, what things would we change so that we would be better off today than we are now. All because the bait that was thrown in front of us was attractive, was pretty, tasted good, looked good, whatever. And we said, I've got to have it now. And we sometimes would say, back up to the verse there, we think that that temptation that the God that comes before us, we would blame God for it, but it's not really God, it's us. Most of the trouble we have is not with somebody else. Most of our trials and temptations and most of our troubles come because of us. We make poor choices. We make immediate decisions based on the gratification of the immediacy of being satisfied right now. And James says, wait a minute. It's by your own evil desire. God doesn't cause that. But you're drawn away and enticed by your own 
evil desire. The consequences is what he says in verse 15. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. All of that to say that the ultimate end is death. It's a process. After you have that desire that is conceived, it births sin. You transgress against God's law. And when sin is fully grown, fully developed, it also gives birth to death. The ultimate end is death and destruction. You see it played out every day in our lives. Just watch television. Watch our people in Hollywood and people in sports and just sometimes your, our own neighbors and friends. They make poor decisions. They, they're enticed by the immediacy of what's going on, not realizing that what you do today has consequences for the rest of your life. Some couples would probably admit that they were honest with themselves and honest before God. Yeah, when I was dating, I thought I really had to have this person until I got married and got into it. And then I realized, ooh, I made a mistake. And it wasn't too long until I got into it. Ooh, this is not good. Because anybody could put on their best face and put on their best picture while you're trying to woo them. Smell good, look good, dress all the time. Breath is always fresh, hair is always combed. And then you marry this person and all of a sudden they don't brush their they don't brush their hair. They don't even make up their bed in the morning when they get up. They don't uh, cook. Well, I can't cook. You need to cook your own breakfast. Well, wait a minute. You know, when we were together, every now and then you'd make breakfast for me. Well, that was, uh, that's over, man. We're done. Dress nice. And now all you get to see is his boxer shorts or his gym shorts and all you get to see from her is sweatpants or whatever, and you're thinking, what happened to all that nice attraction? Well, that was it. The enticement, the attraction is what kept you. You didn't go beyond that. You should have been talking about, so what do you think about church? What do you think about God? Where are you with your relationship to Christ? Do you believe we need to be, as a couple, we should be reading the Bible? Do you believe we should go to a church that preaches and teaches the Bible? Do you believe we ought to be doing some kind of ministry together in a church? I mean, all these things that nobody has ever said but are important to you. Listen, I like to go to church on Sunday. Do you like to go to church? Church? What are you talking about church? Listen, man, I work five, six days a week. Sunday's my day of rest. I take that biblical principle to be at heart. Six days shalt thou labor, seventh day we shall rest, which means I don't go to church. Or if I do go to church, we got this whole new, hey, baby, we got this whole new thing. We don't have to get dressed, get in the car, drive in the rain, snow, sleet, hell, hot weather, sunny weather, good, clean. No, we can sit at home in the front of our nice big screen TV and log on to all these different programs that are out there, and we can have church right here, you and me. Wait a minute, we got COVID. We can't be going to church now. Well, the kind of society, maybe a little bit, things are trying to get back. I mean, today there's going to be 135,000 people stuck watching the Indianapolis 500 this afternoon. In fact, it's on right now. hundred. I get amazed. 130, and that's not full capacity. That's 40% of what they can hold. 
they're at 40% in Indiana. You can have it, only 40%. 135 is there, 40%. I'm going to watch cars going 200 miles an hour around an oval racetrack for 500 miles in whatever weather they got over there, drinking and eating and doing whatever. And at the end, somebody's going to win, and praise be to God. And we can't get 10 or 15 people to get up out of bed to come to the house of God. There's something wrong with this picture. Yesterday, Boston, the Boston Red Sox and whoever they play, the stadium for the first time since last year was filled to capacity. The lady who's the head of the CDC, I think, threw out the opening pitch as a celebration to, we're back! Pastor, you don't understand. No, I understand. Our own evil desires. Let me tell you something. Every now and then, I'm like you. The bed feels good. I done got my nice, comfortable spot in my bed. I mean, I'm just comfortable. The covers are just right. The warmth is, and the coolness is just, and I'm thinking, man, this is good. And I just can just close my eyes and go to sleep. And then there are some Sundays I think, you know, I don't really feel like this today. Let me stay home. See what my members will do. Where's Pastor? Oh, he's, he's not here. Well, where is he? He's at home. He's at home. Why is he at home? Well, he's comfortable lying in bed. He, he, just, didn't, he didn't, just, just didn't feel like it. That's why he talks about our own evil desires. You ever think about this? Because you get a paycheck at the end of the week. Even if you don't feel like going to work, you want that money every week or every two weeks or monthly or whatever it is. And you, you, there's moments in your life during the course of a month, during the course of the year or years that you've been working, you don't feel like doing this. You're like, oh, man, I don't feel like going to work. I know I've got headaches. And problems. i got to go in today. i got this person. I don't even want to talk to them. They're hard. they i got this. Uh, yeah. But what do we do? We get up and go. Because the ultimate thing is this, our desire is we got something on the back end. The eagle flies on Friday. The Duncans. Okay? God doesn't promise so much monetary. But wait a minute. I am so easy to call on God when I have a problem. Ring, ring, ring. Hey, 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 hey. There's a situation going on. What, what's happening? Um, sister's got to go to the doctor. See, she may have cancer. What? Now, do you know what we do when we hear those kind of things? Or mom or dad or whatever. So-and-so is sick, not feeling well. You know what we do? We call on God right then, right there, right now. Oh, Father. Oh, my mom, oh, my dad, my, my brother, my sister, my friend, whatever. I need you right now, God, to do this for me. Okay. But where have you been lately? And because he loves us. Because as the songs were sung today, he's a what? Great God. 
He loves us in spite of ourselves. He loves us in spite of our own evil desires. Because let's, let's, let's be honest with ourselves. We all have not hit 100 all the time. I'll raise my hand as the first one. No, do not expect perfection from me. I've all maybe the most messed up. Amen? I admit I'm a sinner. I admit I don't bat 100 all the time. I admit that there are days I'm up and days I'm down, and sometimes I do and sometimes I don't. I admit that about myself because I know me. Okay? I don't know you. God knows you. But you know what you do and don't do. I'm going to tell you. You need to sit right here and say, oh, yeah, he's right about that. There are days I do, and then there are a lot of days I don't. Why? Because James says, Number one, if you love him, you will receive the crown of life. Number two, if you love him, he will help you to endure these trials. And know this, that trials are different from temptations because trials are things that, we, that God puts on us to show us where our love for him is. Temptation shows us where exactly we are. Because many times we think, I'm all right. And I get amazed at people that sometimes look at me like, What's he talking about? I've never had these struggles. I've been saved. I, I've, I've always loved God. I've always, I've never have doubted God at any point, moment in my life. There's never been a moment that I didn't know whatever may come, God was going to take care of it. I've never doubted. I've never feared about anything. People can give me bad news, but I know God. If you're that person, praise be to God. That you have not had some doubts every now and then. That you have had no fears in your life. That you are totally committed and trust God a, a thousand percent. But James tells us it's our own evil desires. Then after it is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, when it's fully matured, then it will lead to death. Maybe part of the deception is you think you're all right when you're not. You know, pain is good. Years ago, a friend of mine named Kenny Gaines met him at Cedarville College. We were, I don't know, it was in my house or somewhere, and he had a candle lit. And he was all excited about God and what God was doing, and he, the candle was lit. And he took his hand and placed it over the flame of the candle. And he started lowering it. And he was just talking, and I'm thinking, as you get lowered, is not your hand burning? It don't take much for me to go like that. And he was like, and God's got like, dude, I love God. I trust God. But the closer you get to a flame, it does and can and will burn your hand. But he was so wrapped up in what he was talking about God, they forgot that he was burning his hand. I think, how many of us sometimes we get too close to the flame of where sin is and what it can do and it cause death and we just keep getting closer and closer until it's too late and then we find out I may have a first, second, or third degree burn because I didn't realize how close I was to the destruction. But then he says in verse 16, don't be deceived, my brothers and sisters. Every good gift, every good and perfect gift is from above. Is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights who does not change like shifting shadows. But by his own choice, he gives us birth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Anything that is good comes from God. 
We can try to do good, and God sometimes allows us to do good, but that good and perfect gift is from above. If you're able to do anything good, it's because God enabled you to have the ability to do the good that you are doing. Because you and I on our own cannot do good. We could do evil, but it's hard for us to do good without the power of God in our life. I'm a good person. Well, the only reason why you're good is because God's enabled you to be good. And if you're saved he's, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he's given you the ability to through the power of the Holy Spirit, to do some good things. But to walk out and say, I, I do good. No, you can't. You and I cannot because we are possessed. We are in sin. Born in sin, shaping it. The only thing that changes that is a rebirth, a regeneration of who we are in Christ Jesus. Why on earth would a good man die for People such as you and I. There's only one four-letter word, L-O-V-E. And listen to this. He loves us when we don't even love ourselves. Oh, God, I messed up. I'm, I'm not a good person. I, I, I just, my mind, my, my actions, whatever. Oh, I, I can't do it. I, I, wait a minute. He's the one that loves you. In spite of where you are. Okay, you messed up. We all mess up. Now, what are we going to do about the mess up? Go to God. Say, Father, help, Father forgive me of my wrong and help me to, to do that which you would want me to do, which most glorifies you. Amen. I can't do this on myself. And hopefully you got good people around you that say, hey, 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 don't beat yourself up. Why are you and I beating ourselves up over some sins that happen in our lives in days past and gone? Well, if we ask God forgiveness, he will forgive us. He says, listen, my forgiveness is as far as the depths of the sea, as far as the east is from the west, to what? Rise up against you no more. God, listen, it's not that God forgets. He just chooses not to hold it against us. That's the miracle. He's not like you and I. I remember when. Oh, I remember, Pastor, what you said or what you did. No, ain't no way I'll ever forgive you. No. Sorry. And if you do say, I forgive you, in the back of your mind, goes, but yeah, but I always remember. God doesn't do that. Can you point east and west and where? No. The depths of the sea rise up. He just says, you know what? I forgive you. I'm not going to hold what you did against you. And if he says that, then why are you and I remembering and holding on to what God elects not to hold against our account? You ever get a notice, you get all these new bank apps that tells you when you get low on your bank account? That's what God does. He reminds us sometimes we get low in our, in our bank account and we need to put something in. What we need to put in is faith, trust, love, obedience. Add those things to our account so that if we charge against it. So when I call on God, I've got something in my account that allows me to make a payment. Too many of us don't have much in our account with God to be able to make some payments, make a payment that we want to make. He says a perfect gift. 
is from above. Look at creation. Look at the lights. They don't change. The seasons, they don't change. All of, there's no shifting of shadows. And I conclude with this one. By his own choice, he, he gives us birth. We are born into this by the word of truth. And he's going to deal with that later on in the chapter because he talks about if there's any change that's going to happen in your or my life, it comes from the word of God. The more you read the Bible, and not just read it, but the more of it gets into you, you're going to see a couple things. One, you're going to see how great God is. But two, you're going to see how messed up you and I are. He talks about when we look into a mirror, and some of us don't like looking into mirrors. And you know why? Because when we look into mirrors, we see ourselves. And some mirrors are deceptive. You go to the store, some mirrors make you look like I'm Arnold Schwarzenegger back in the day. Cut, rip, whatever. Got the six-pack. Then I go by another mirror and go, oh, God. I look like the Michelin man, you know? Depending on the mirror. But this mirror... This book, this mirror will show you exactly where you are. Wait a minute. I've got, oh, man. I've got some more clues. I thought I looked all right. No, the word says, oh, you're not as good as you think you are, brother. you got some cleaning up to do. Amen? He says, by his own choice, he gave us birth, brought us bought into the word of truth, so that we would be the kind of first fruits of his, of his creatures. Of all of God's creation, he's chosen man to reflect his glory. He's like, giraffes, lions, tigers, bears, oh my. They can't do it. But I put on you, as, as a created in my very image, to reflect back to the world. He's chosen the church. We who are members of the body of Christ to reflect to a dying world that his way is the best way. How do you handle trials? How do you handle temptations? How do you handle riches? How do you handle not having riches? And he's going to talk about how do you handle this and how do you handle that? It always comes back to having a right relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? Who is the captain of your soul? Hopefully it's Jesus. And you're asking him to lead you and guide you. I can remember a few years ago, well, many years ago, I talked to, was talking, and I didn't know about some of this until I, as a young, young man, got to Cedarville College. I mean, maybe in principle I knew it. But I really didn't know it, per se, until I realized that everything in life, I'm, not, I'm to ask God if it's the right thing to do. I really believe, for me, the only reason. I prayed about marrying this woman, young woman down here. I said, Lord, is she the one? Oh, she, she still is. She was the bomb. I mean, geez. Brick house and all that. Uh, to me, to me, in my eyes. Oh, man, she's kind of cute. 
little, little age difference at the time, but she's kind of cute. Yeah, still is. But in order to last 36 years, <laughs> it took love. Because I know if I allow her to come up right now and talk, she could probably say, well, let me tell you about this guy here. Oh, about 10, 15 years ago, he did this, and he did that. He hasn't done this, he hasn't done that. I mean, she could probably write a whole lot of stuff. And, but I know that when I got married, here's, here's a couple things I'll say, and I'll close. I asked the Lord, I said, okay. And I, this is what I tell couples when I marry them. You, have, I'm gonna make, you can write your vows out. Appreciate that. Love that. Great. Wonderful. But I want, if I'm doing it, they're going to say the traditional vow. Love, honor, and cherish. Till death do you part. Sickness and in health better or all those things. Because in life, it is about sickness and in health. There was a professor at Cedarville College. His wife got sick. And for years, 15, 20 some years, he stood by her side. When he married her, she was fresh and exciting and things were great, but she got sick and he stayed with her. Why? Because he loved her. Amen? It's easy to love people when they're strong and vibrant and everything. But if they get sick, it's like, what? I didn't go outside for all this. Yes, you did. Better, worse. Money, no money. Sickness, health, all that. That's all part. But you don't get to do that unless you have love. And Jesus loved us enough that he looked beyond all of what we have and don't have and said, I love you, Nina. I love you, Art. I love you, Secret. I love you, Randy. Even when you don't do what I want you to do, I still love you. That's why the song came back and says, wait a minute, who in the right mind? would love me when I don't do right? The answer, Jesus. So how we face trials, James says, is you realize they don't come from God. Your love for God will help you endure and go through that. And don't get caught up in your own sinful, lustful desires because you have them. Give them to me. Let me work through you. Father, we thank you for your word. We come this morning confessing we haven't always been 